I'm encouraging that breath that you experienced. Never thought about that breath before, but it made you feel different. It literally changed the energy intra and interpersonally. So I'd like us to step back each day as often as we can from this and allow our conscious loving breath and let's slow this process down a little let's not just stream this data let's learn how to embody the message and the messenger as we tell our story and take responsibility for that when we own our voice we own our power from cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, the inbound evangelist himself, Dan Moyle. And welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. I am your host, Dan Moyle. I believe in the power of story from personal connections to business networking to anything you can do in the world. Storytelling is what separates us from all other life on earth. It connects us. And we're about to dive into yet another great story with a fantastic storyteller and a little bit different format this time with some teaching, not just the story, but the teaching of it coming up. Now, before we do, a quick reminder that our website has great resources available, past episodes, and contact information for me if you'd like it. Visit thestorytellersnetwork.com for all of that. And if you're new and just testing the waters and kicking the tires, Text the word storytellers to 31996 to subscribe. And my guest today is a coach who has worked with some major inspirational storytellers. You'll hear a few of those. And here's the thing. If you're speaking in front of another person or in front of many, it's not a presentation. At least it shouldn't be. It should be a performance. That's how Arthur Joseph sees it. And that's how he teaches others to see it as well. From NFL Hall of Fame inductees like Emmett Smith, like guys like Kurt Warner, to Hollywood heavy hitters like Angelina Jolie, Zoe Deschanel, and many others, Arthur has helped thousands up their speaking game. And now he's ready to help you grow. See, Arthur wants to do more than just bring a tip or two. He basically gives us, uh, my audience here, a masterclass feel for our conversation. So much goodness in it. Whether it's preparing for a TED Talk or a simple business presentation, or I mean performance, whether it's a keynote or a quarterly earnings report or any kind of oral story, Arthur can help you go beyond the next level as a storyteller. So let's get to the stories. Well, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Arthur Samuel Joseph for joining me on the Storytellers Network. Uh, how, is, how, how is Arthur today? Arthur's all right. He's, I've been getting over a cold and went for a walk with our dog this morning. It was about 35 degrees out. 
was something I should have thought twice about. <laughs> so a little creaky right now, but it's all good. That sounds a little bit like Michigan weather, so yikes. I live in Southern California. <laughs> That's not good at all. <laughs> so uh, now Dodger is your dog. Took Dodger for a walk. Yeah. Is he named after the Dodgers then? Or is that yeah, our oldest son gave him to us, and he knows we're Dodger fans, and so we have this 90-pound Doberman puppy named Dodger. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Arthur, I appreciate you taking time to talk to the Storytellers Network, and, and I, and I want to start off with just a simple, like, let's get on the same page. Do you consider yourself a storyteller? Absolutely. We're all. Yeah. Storytelling is what it's about, of course, because it evokes man's four basic emotions. And, and I, interestingly enough, as you probably know, Dan, is I teach people how to tell story. Right. I don't teach people how to be presenters. I teach people how to be storytellers. And so, yes, that's why I was looking so forward to being on this call. Yeah. Well, and me too, you know, it's, it's out of 60 or so interviews. It's been all about kind of inspiration and hearing the behind the scenes thing of storytellers and, and why they are, what they are, what they do and everything else. But I haven't necessarily spoken with anyone who teaches that. And so I was really excited that you said yes. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit. So it'll be for the listeners, it'll be just a little bit different than what they're used to. Um, <clears throat> getting some lessons on presenting and storytelling, that kind of thing. So, so I do find it very interesting that not only do you teach storytellers, but you consider yourself one. Where does that start for you, Arthur? Have you always been a storyteller? I, when our boys were small, they're not boys any longer. They're <laughs> older than you. <laughs> but I, I've always just told stories. And I remember one time we pulled in, I'd been telling a story and driving in the car with our family, with my family and pulled into the driveway and my story wasn't done yet. And of course I'm making it all up in the moment. So I don't know when it's going to be done, but nobody wanted to get out of the car until I finished the story. And it was a knight in shining armor kind of story. And they're really quite evocative. And then one time we were on a river trip, a river raft trip, and have to always tell a ghost story around the campfire. And so my voice gets into this whole now. And it was a night very much like this. And, <laughs> and, and, and I, the story starts getting a little dark, no pun intended. And the father pulled his daughter away from this campfire really quickly because the story was getting a little scary. Yeah. But the point really is I'm a classical singer by training and I have a master's in voice. And when we sing songs, we tell story. And so what it created for me was this whole sense of a way to, to listen within the music to not just the words, but the melody and the pitches and the dynamics and the tempo changes, which clearly impacted the way I tell story as a public speaker and as I teach it in vocal awareness, but that level of awareness. So, so storytelling is part of vocal awareness, also part of your book, Vocal Leadership. It's become such this buzzword, though. How, how do you take it from this kind of buzzword thing to really bring it to those people that you do coach and work with and, and really explain what exactly that is. 
what does storytelling mean to you, I guess, is what it comes down to. If you, as you probably know, Dan, I train a lot of broadcasters. Mm-hmm. And one of my teams is a, on the NFL Network on a show called Game Day Morning, which is on Sundays this weekend. It'll be Saturday and Sunday because it's playoff weekend. Mm-hmm. My team, hosted by Rich Eisen, then head coach Steve Mariucci, former head coach of the San Francisco 49ers, the Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner, and the Hall of Fame wide receiver Michael Irvin. And I mention this because if you compare the way they communicate on that show with any other sports show from ESPN to NBC, this is heads and tails better than anybody's. Because there's, first of all, a team. We work assiduously together every week in our warm-ups. I help them with their storylines, et cetera. But when you listen to them, they're not just delivering data. They're really telling story, and they have vocal awareness as their technique to help them deliver not just the message, but to embody the messenger. So in answering your question, this is technique. It's a craft. Structure does not impinge, it liberates. And so in in this work, I teach us how to listen when we tell the story. I teach us how change pace, tempo, pitch, dynamics, how to tell story with color, expression. There's a a trademarked as many aspects of vocal awareness are trademarked. One that is relevant in this moment is visceral language. As a singer, I look at music and it tells me everything to do. But traditionally storytellers, we only have words. So I teach us how to annotate those words so they really come alive. If you just mm-hmm. if that were written down so they really come alive. I would have underlined the word alive, put an an exclamation point, underlined the R-E in really, and so that I'm helping us visually connect to the narrative. Does this make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it can be so powerful, yeah. Now say, yeah, absolutely again, and write the words out yeah absolutely dash and it can be so powerful exclamation point and then over the u and absolutely put an accent grave and put a comma after yeah and underline so powerful put an accent over the o underline the F and underline the word so. At the beginning write breathe and then use my eyes to tell the story. In three, two, you ready to read that Dan? Begin. Yeah. Absolutely. It can be so powerful. Now let's tell it differently using the same 
annotation in three, two. Yeah, it can be so powerful. You left a word out in three, two. Yeah, absolutely. It can be so powerful. Here we we can we got eighty different <laughs> versions, but yeah. now you have options rather than just yeah. It can be so powerful. Absolutely, those are just words. Now those words have an intention. So for storytellers getting ready to do a presentation, is it helpful to write out whether it's just notes or a full script and do those annotations? Is that how part of how you teach people? How to present better? Categorically, yes. Hmm. Just there's a new movie out. Two of my performing heroes were Laurel and Hardy. And there's a new movie out called Stan and Ollie. Mm -hmm. And reading one of the articles I read about it, movie got wonderful reviews. Stan Laurel used to cut the heels off of his shoes and boots. So it would make him walk funny. You read George Burns' autobiography. George Burns was a, the late great comedian. Mm -hmm. And along with Jack Benny, one of the two masters of timing. And in George Burns' autobiography, Say Goodnight, Gracie, because that's how he ended his radio and TV shows for decades. Mm -hmm. He talked about never smoking an expensive cigar in his nightclub act because an expensive cigar was all tobacco and would constantly go out and he'd have to relight it and it would ruin the timing of a joke. So he'd smoke a two-bit cigar, all filler, he could puff it and not ruin the timing of a joke. Great comedians, great artists, this is the level of detail. But in this day and age, we've sort of perhaps lost the craft. And so one of my paradigms, Dan, is structure does not impinge, it liberates. Freedom without direction is chaos, whether it's storytelling in a podcast or storytelling in a PowerPoint presentation. What compels our audience to listen? Now, what word did you see underlined in there? Listen. Yeah. And you didn't just hear it. You saw it. Mm -hmm. Because I did. So I help us make voice visual and feel what's just happened in over this internet system that we're communicating with. What's just happened in your space right now as I'm doing this from 2,500 miles away via the internet. Mm -hmm. And then I can change it and we can do all of this and but I do that with technique. Mm -hmm. And if I say to you, I'm, I know, hold your can remember what you wanted to say. So if I say to you, Dan, what a joy it is to be here with you today versus watch my eyes, Dan. What a joy it is to be with you today. Yeah. The first one is flatter because my eyes are disengaged. The second time my eyes open and they convey something. So the method message there is, the mouth is where the words come from that we tell our story with, but the eyes tell the story. When I'm, I write a lot of speeches for clients, Hall of Fame speeches, for example. And as I begin to get people into this notion of how do you tell story, 
I will often, often have them bring fairy tales to their lesson and teach us how to read the fairy tale. Because we didn't just say, once upon a time, there are three bears, great big papa bear, Ben's eyes, mom, we don't tell a story like that. So we tell story with transitions, connective tissue of storytelling. Once upon a time, there's three, there were three bears, transition. Great big papa bear, transition. A mid-sized mama bear, transition. And a little bitty baby bear, transition. Well, one day a little girl named Goldilocks and the transition alerts the unconscious mind of the listener to a tempo change, dynamic change, pitch, something. Pay attention, new information. Mm -hmm. And so in my copy, I'll put a T for a transition. I'll put a CLB at the beginning for a conscious loving breath. I'll circle periods. Anything we can do to create a structure that does not Im imprison me in this didactic, I must say it that way. For example, when you said, yeah, absolutely, we could have kept going for another eight tries, but the structure was the same structure. You just interpreted it different. Mm -hmm. About an hour ago, you wanted to get a word in edgewise. What did you want to say? <laughs> no, that's all right. I'm just, um, much like our previous conversations, I'm just enthralled. I just enjoy listening. And, and I keep thinking about the different levels of people you coach. Someone like me who is relatively low on the professional totem pole or someone like Kurt Warner and Michael Irvin or someone like, uh, you know, Angelina Jolie, or you mentioned in one of our conversations, the Deschanel sisters, all people that you've coached from all levels. And, and is it, so I keep thinking about that. I guess my question is, is it the same kind of coaching at every level? Is it reminders? Is it different levels you can kind of graduate to? How does that work with all the different kinds of professionals you work with, Arthur? What a thoughtful question. We always begin at the beginning. Hmm. I teach empowerment through voice. Okay. And vocal awareness and that is even trademarked. Vocal awareness is trademarked. And I say this because this is, it's frankly, it's original thought. And even if you're a well-trained actor or a really good singer, this technique is different. And so if I say to you, Dan, take a deep breath and exhale. Now, if I say to you, Dan, allow a slow, silent, loving breath with your eyes on me. No, no, no. Slow, silent, and loving. It is not a bench press. Mm. You, you, tell me when you're ready. I'm ready. Slow and silent and loving. Deeper. See, that's very different. And your internal and external space just got instantly quieter, didn't it? It did. And so I teach that at every level, but nobody's been taught that anywhere except here. And our warm-ups and things like that. So 
one of the things I love about this work with my birthday this month, it begins my 54th year of vocal awareness, wow. is that it, this learning is part of the human condition. We all process it in the same way. And it's a privilege, it's a joy. Here I get to play with you. And you know, earlier today was about businessmen and who have a big conference in April and we've already begun or in March and have already begun in December. And, you know, I'm honored that on my latest book, Commissioner Goodell is the commissioner of the National Football League, wrote a foreword because I helped him tell his story mm. differently. And so. And, and some of it sounds, it sounds right at home in with performers whether it's singers, whether it's actors, even broadcasters. But you also, Arthur, you crossed the line in, into business. You mentioned businessmen uh, earlier today that you worked with. So it does really, being aware, being centered, thinking of it as more than just a story, thinking of it as an experience, I think, is important regardless of what area of work you're in. Am I reading that right? Yeah, you are. Every, we've been taught that a performance is inauthentic in business. It's a presentation, that PowerPoint presentation, dot, 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 that interview for a job interview. Well, the root of the word present, presentation, means to introduce formally, to bring before the public. So it is a complete misnomer. Every public encounter is a performance because someone is watching or listening. The root of the word perform, performance means to carry out, fulfill, to do. And we go to a concert, we go to a play, we go to a film and we expect an impeccable performance. But to get that performance, how many thousands of hours of practicing did it take? Well, in my work, my clients from whether it's at clients at Ernst & Young or Deloitte or the National Football League or wherever else in business that I teach, they don't just go up and put their slides and some bullets up. We've practiced. One of my clients who came to me in his early 50s he was already enormously successful in the business world. He was SVP of a global corporation and third or fourth in the entire company, probably. And he'd never written out a PowerPoint presentation in his life. And we came together and for a year and a half, he read them all fully written out off his mini iPad. And the first meeting I went to, the first town hall that he led that I was at, sitting next to one of his direct reports whom I hadn't yet taught. She then came to study with me shortly thereafter. Every note that she was taking was what he was underli had underlined in the slides because the subliminal persuasion aspect of this visceral language said to her, oh, 
this is compelling. I need to take that note. A year and a half later, and from then on out, he never wrote, read anything. It was all, I'd get his, his text on a Wednesday in home video. And I'd go through it, make some notes. I'd fly to New York to meet him on the weekend for that Tuesday town hall. We're spending three or four hours on a Saturday or Sunday. And then more preparation on Monday and Tuesday morning before. So for that 45 minutes to an hour, we spent, he, between himself and both of us, 15 to 20 hours. Because wow. it's a performance and someone is watching and it must be as impeccable as possible. And it was all storytelling. That's incredible. That's a lot of time to put into a town hall. But it's so so important, especially if you have some a message to get out there. That's that's incredible. Um, I have so much I just want to get into that. <laughs> so really, for anyone wanting to tell a story, especially if you want to tell it publicly, either from a stage or in front of a boardroom or whatever, getting that coaching is so important. Obviously, Arthur, you offer that. You're, you have your book. Uh, we can read. We have things that we can watch. But And you have a TEDx talk, by the way, that I really enjoyed. Uh, I love the warm up and the string. And oh, man, it was incredible to see everybody in that TEDx room stand up. I've been to TEDx presentations. People don't stand up. <laughs> so very cool. Uh, but really, what it comes down to is, is getting that coaching. Do you have an online uh, course that people can take, right? That's a great, yeah, I have several mm -hmm. and there's a visceral language course. I believe that's an offering in, in this, for this call today that we're even offering us a discount to your listeners. But this is, we're launching this month an entirely new leadership program because this is my legacy time and I just wrote my annual new year's letter and it's different from ones I've written in the past. And this one is about passing the torch. And so I've created this really impeccable leadership program all online. At least the first part of it is. And the second part as well designed to basically take you to a quarter and then it keeps progressing and it even leads to one-on-one -on -one with me if somebody wants to take it that far. But I really want to teach people how this work can help change their lives. So I've created this course and they will learn everything you need to know about storytelling, about communication. It's, this work clearly is my passion and I'm just privileged to get to do it and proud of what, what I've accomplished to this point, to be honest. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's still barely the tip of an iceberg because the vision is to change the world through voice. Mm -hmm. And each of us, as we tell our story, our origin stories, our, our personal stories, none of us got to where we are in life unscathed. And so I really want to help people own their voice. Voice is power. When you own that voice, you own that power. There's an integrity there. 
And so I want us to be in the sovereignty of who we're capable of being through the way we embody who we are, through the way we tell the world who we are. The sovereignty of who we're capable of being. I love that. What a, what a, what a powerful message and inspiration. That, man, I'm going to have to write that one down from the transcript here because that was good. <laughs> Uh, so have you, here's a, here's a fun one for you. Have you ever been thanked from the stage, like the Oscars or the Emmys or anything? Let me think. I've been thanked in, not at the Oscars or Emmys. I've been thanked in the hall, at the hall of fame. Mm-hmm. I've been thanked on television. I don't remember. I'm old. I've been <laughs> a few times, and it's you know I don't ex- take the thank yous too well because it's uh, I'm just so grateful to get to do the work. But yes, I have been thanked. I've been thanked in writing a lot of times, which is really sweet. Yeah, that has to be powerful. You, you. I, I remember when when we first met, you texted me a video of being thanked by your team uh, on the on the, the the NFL show. So that was exciting. So that oh, was. I- those personal, yeah, those personal thank yous have to be fun, but but I, I got to believe getting that at the Hall of Fame ha- had to be maybe difficult, but kind of fun too, right? You know, when you give me your voice, you give me who you are. Mm-hmm. And I have a theme in vocal awareness, a champion does it differently. Mm-hmm. And the word champion, by the way, is not a sports-centric term. You look up the root of the word and it means dazzle, dazzlingly skilled in any field. So I teach us how to be our inner champion and and awaken to our possibility. So when I'm, you know, really thanked by great professional champions or renowned artists or performers of note, it's meaningful to me because they've accomplished something. They know the difference. And so it's quite humbling to be honest. Absolutely. And, and it sounds like, I mean, the, the humility is obviously there. Uh, you're an authentic, humble man. Have you looked around your life at some point and kind of figured that you've, air quotes here for those who are listening, made it and kind of, not that you want to rest on your laurels, but you look around at your charmed life and figure, how did I even get here to this making it point? Have you, have you felt that? Well, there are several different questions there. <laughs> And I, my bride and I, she tolerates my exploring those kinds of questions more often than probably is necessary. But I'm humbled because when we began together 50 plus years ago, we grossed 300 bucks a month between the two of us. And there was a point in time when I was actually we were on food stamps because I couldn't get my act together. And, but one of God's gifts to me, aside from myriad challenges and poverty growing up and all these other things was, was the ability to build something out of whole cloth that had never existed before. And, 
And that matters to me because the great use of a life is suspended for something that outlasts million years. I know that I'm here to make a difference. And it took me many years to accept the size of what that really is because I have monkey on my back makes King Kong look like a chimp. <laughs> and this is not an ego drive. I know that I've been gifted to create very special work. Mm -hmm. And but I was my own lab rat. My work saved my life. And as I learned to embody what was given to me, if you watch, when you watch that TED talk, that thought that came through 10 o'clock one night, that voice is the only artistic experience which ends that talk, came through just like that. I have a responsibility to be in the integrity of the work. And it made me a far better human being than I would have been without it. Because it sort of don't count. <laughs> Otherwise I'm fraudulent. And so I, getting to teach this work, be this work. And I look back and I see, my God, look at this life. This is pretty extraordinary. But I also, because of the size of that monkey on my back, is, as I said, it's barely the tip of an iceberg. And I know where we're heading is to a global awareness that really, before I check out, I'm gonna to get to help folks in even greater and more substantive ways globally. And that's, you know, when I, and having conversations with thoughtful people such as yourself, Dan, and, means a lot to me because if I'm going to change the world to voice, I'm not going to do it by sitting on my sofa in Encino. <laughs> it's only through outreach with kind people such as yourself, where people will hear this all over the planet. So, and, and, I, cool. and I have a question about that in just a minute, but I want to get back to something uh, very kind of briefly. I picked up on a thread with you, Arthur, of faith. Do you feel like the talents that we have, we owe, and I'm a faith person too. I feel like, and maybe you agree, the talents that I was given aren't for my ego, but if I don't use them for good, it's kind of a slap in the face to my creator. Do you think? Y yes, it's arrogant, first of all. Mm -hmm. it's, it's an interesting notion. If we look up the word hubris, it means blaspheming the gods, extreme arrogance, nothing to aspire to. But every great artist, every great athlete in the moment of performance is completely hubristic. We're not on that stage hoping the audience likes us. We're not on that field playing or on that court saying, I hope my teammates and coaches approve. We are so self-focused in that moment because it's about the work, the capital W work we're here to achieve. But us mere mortals out here, we get all these mixed messages. Oh, don't say that, that sounds arrogant. We shouldn't act like that, what will people think? So if I say to you, Dan, vocal awareness is extraordinary work, it can help you change your life in moments. Now that's stupid and arrogant. But if I say in response, Dan, vocal awareness is extraordinary. 
it can help you change your life in moments. That's not therapy, it's my truth. So I'm sharing this because to be the champion that I teach us how to be requires audacity. This client I spoke of earlier, the global EVP, for my 70th birthday a couple of years ago, gave me a book called The Audacity of Hoop. And it had a cover photograph of President Obama in the Oval Office, coat and tie holding a basketball behind his back. And it's his life story and his presidency through the prism of three-on-three pickup basketball. And, and I asked a couple of NBA clients at the time about playing three-on-three full court. Said, if you're playing that, you're intense because that game is not for the faint of heart. And so John in his note to me in the book said, thank you for introducing me to the audacity of voice. And I said, John, to be audacious, we have to believe in our own possibility. So if you look up the word audacious, it means powerful. It means compelling. It means all kinds, bold, daring, intrepid. So in vocal awareness, I teach us how to serve the work. In my lexicon, I'm serving source and the work. And even though it might be at some level an ego drive, you thought I wasn't getting back to the original thought out here. Not at all. It, it might seem like initially an ego drive, but it's really about the calling. It's really, I'm compelled to do it. I'm compelled to go out and get that job. We're compelled to be the best employee in that company. We're compelled to be the best husband or wife or partner we can be. And it's not about our ego. It's about what we're called to be. But vocal awareness is a doing work. It's a be, excuse me, vocal awareness is a being work, no question. But we have to do it to be it. But in summary, one of the most important words in vocal awareness is the word surrender. It means to yield or to give back. It means to be in service to my vision, to my calling, to my purpose to source, to whatever it is I set up. I'm in service to that. And I don't get to be the cork in my own bottle. I don't get to oh, look out of 3,200 people in that auditorium and choke. Or I just got tackled by a 350 pound person and I can't show fear. We know that in the arts and athletics, but we don't know that in the rest of our lives necessarily. And we should know that. And that's this work. Yes. I love, I love the work. I want to get back to what I put a pin in earlier. I feel like a lot of us, no matter our age, get a little bit scared of change, especially right now with the constant change that we have in technology. Everything's moving so fast. There are, there's more information created in two days than 
of all of our history up until the point of like 2003 or something. It's just insane. So change kind of, it, it really kind of scares us, I feel like. But what you said earlier, you, you made a joke about how old you are. I'm so old. Um, but you've embraced a lot of this change in technology and the internet, social media. Do you think that all of that change is affecting the craft of storytelling or do you see it as, well, I guess it's affecting it either way, but do you see it as a negative or a positive? Yes. <laughs> of Amen. course there is yes. Yeah. And, but one of my axioms is the only thing, only thing constant in life is change. Mm. Otherwise we're in stasis and there is no such thing because we can't stand still. Mm-hmm. So change is always ongoing at a cellular level. We know that. Through this internet, we can do this. Took a month for John Adams to get a letter to Abigail. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it changed the course of the world. If it had happened a lot faster, maybe things would have happened differently. Yeah. But we also, through this medium, Lose the art of public discourse. Hmm. We text our emotional responses. And then we control the conversation because that's not dialogue, that's texting. And so we lose eye contact. When Alexander Graham Bell invented a telephone, we lost the art of letter writing. 30 years ago, 30 years later, radio. Now we sit in a room and we listen. Then 30 years later, we sit in a room and we look at things. Now we don't have to do either. We can do it all here with our fingers and thumbs. And it happens so quickly that we're just streaming data, but our mind, I teach that our mouth is not our mind out loud. And we're in a very dangerous time in our world. And not a political statement, but we have the most powerful political figure on the planet running an administration through tweets mm-hmm. and being elected on one level because they wanted a talk show host. And this is dangerous. And so I'm awakening people to a real responsibility here that we can't abdicate. That yes, that brilliant statement you just made about in two days, dot, dot, dot. But I'm doing the movie Network. And I'm lifting up windows and saying, I'm mad as hell and I don't want to take it anymore. Because it happens so quickly, it matters even more. And that rant and that tweet or that rant and that email becomes a rant out here. Mm -hmm. But I want us to notice the energetic emotional impact that this whole medium has. And I'd like us to take a step back. You've heard me pejoratively say more than once, I'm the Cro-Magnon man of technology. I literally don't even know how to cut and paste. I know that sounds really inane, but that's the truth. I embrace this technology. I don't know how to use it well. 
I write all my books by talking to them. And then I, they're transcribed and I write them from that. Mm -hmm. But I find when I sit at my computer typing, I'm an excellent typist, I'm editing, I'm contained here. Mm -hmm. So I write by using my voice to tell my story, which then allows me to step back and objectively look at what I've just said. So I, I'm encouraging that breath that you experienced. Never thought about that breath before, but it made you feel different. Mm -hmm. It literally changed the energy intra and interpersonally. So I'd like us to step back each day as often as we can from this and allow a conscious loving breath and let's slow this process down a little bit. Let's not just stream this data Let's learn how to embody the message and the messenger as we tell our story and take responsibility for that. When we own our voice, we own our power. And that's integral. And slowing it down not only helps us with all of what you talked about, I feel like it helps us connect when we slow down and pay attention. And we and listen differently. Look how you're listening differently internally right now. Mm -hmm. So if we can't listen, we can't hear. And if we can't hear and listen, we can't respect. One of my next books is called, It's All About the Breath. The root of the word spirit means to breathe. I don't want to motivate people. I want to inspire them to breathe into them. The Hebrew word neshama means both soul and breath. This is real. It's amazing what language can do and how it gets lost in translation, how that word can mean both spirit and breath. That's, man... English is so boring. No. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I could, I could sit and have this conversation all night long. I, I love our talks that we've had uh, over the last year, Arthur. I, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. <laughs> it, you know, there are formats here, I guess. But, um, but for those who are listening, uh, again, go, go to the website. Go to the, the, the show notes. You have these offerings. We'll have a couple of links um, in my show notes at thestorytellersnetwork.com. But even those links that aren't there, just go explore your website. You've got so much to teach, no matter the level of storytelling. Thank you for sharing that with everyone um, and, and making a difference in the world, Arthur. Um, if, if you could tell only one last story, though, and you were done telling stories, or when that time comes, what do you want your last story that you share to be? that I learned, I grew, and I became all that I was capable of being to make a difference because I was here. 
that's a, it's a great way to leave a legacy. I think you mentioned earlier, your, your new year letter, your legacy letter. Uh, I, I got it in my email. I read it and I was absolutely moved by it. I think you are definitely leaving a legacy. You're working on a legacy. You haven't left it yet. You're working on a legacy of that learning and giving. So you're getting Thank there. Thank you for time today. And, and I really appreciate getting to hang out with you, Dan. It was absolutely my pleasure, my friend. Be well. So once again, thank you so much, Arthur Samuel Joseph and Vocal Awareness. You can connect with Arthur at the links in the show notes. If you need any kind of coaching, check it out. You, uh, we all would be very fortunate to work with a guy like Arthur. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with someone. Sharing is caring. Post it to the social media outlets. Text someone. Just tell a friend. I do appreciate it very much. And if you want to share your story with me in some way, go to the storytellersnetwork.com, hit contact Dan on the contact contact page, send me an email and let me know what you love or maybe don't love about the show. Until next time, here's to telling our stories and having those stories to tell. Cheers. Cheers.